It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, remotely of course, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Kay Winnigal and recently I spoke to the head of BZE Research, Dominic Hess and John Scheel about how the city of Newcastle became the first local government in New South Wales to implement 100% renewable electricity, and it achieved it by the start of 2020. Because it's such a great story, Dominic suggested we contact the Program Coordinator of Strategy and Engagement at the city of Newcastle, Adam Clark, to discuss exactly how successful their transition has already been. So here he is. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Okay, nice to join you. The Hunter Valley has been described as a hotbed of renewable energy development with a range of projects either in planning or underway. And the City of Newcastle took advantage of this. Could you just go through the renewables plan you implemented? So the the City of Newcastle's had in place a carbon and water management action plan, which we've been delivering against over the last eight-year period. So Part of that position was that we were targeting a a 30% renewable energy target by 2020, along with another number of other energy reduction and and carbon emission reduction targets. So over the last couple of years, we've been doing a lot of rooftop solar, particularly at our our large sites, and also started uh, a number of years ago to develop up a a project to reach that 30% target, which was the the Summer Hill Solar Farm out at our waste centre. So you said 30%. And yet you got to 100%. Yeah, so as we started to sort of develop up this project, the, the mid-side solar farm out at Summer Hill, you know, the, the economics that was coming back out of that was going to get us going through all the development applications and things like that. It, it made sense to use as much space as possible. So we, we built a five megawatt solar farm out there. That was going to get us to about 50 to 60% by the 2020 target. But at the same time, our council started to tell us to look into what it would be to get to 100% renewable electricity supply. So around about April last year, we worked with a consultant to start doing some of the business case modelling to look at what the cost or or benefit would be by, by doing it by 2020 or 2025 or 2030. And on the back of that rather detailed information, we we saw that there was an opportunity to go to 100% renewables from 2020 as all our electricity contracts were, were coming up for renewal. So we started to gather some information around that to put out to tender. Again, worked with another consultant there to help develop up the, the tender documents to see what our options would be. Now we had a lot of 
solar obviously, but to offset some of our evening load and street lighting. We started to look at some other sources and wind power became one of the good matches for the outputs that we were after. So as part of that renewable tender, we signed a PPA with Sapphire Wind Farm at Glen Innes, which funnily enough was developed by a Newcastle company, CWP. So as of 1 January this year, we, we started buying power from that wind farm as well. Do you have any battery storage as well? So we have battery storage at a, a few of our sites, particularly our sports grounds, because they have quite high flood lighting loads during the sporting season, which we'll, we'll be back with us soon. So we have, have some battery storage there, but we're also looking at building some sort of much larger megawatt scale battery storage, possibly out at the solar farm and at some of our other larger sites. One of one of the areas in particular where we have battery storage, we also have a number of public EV charging stations with a solar car park as well. So it's almost well, it is effectively running off grid through that solar and battery storage. So it's directly supplying renewable energy for the car charging. When cars are charging overnight there, it's it's using the battery storage and we're taking very little from the grid there. So you've got rooftop PV, wind and battery, as well as that um, solar farm. Is that a particular strategy to diversify your renewable supply? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good to have diverse supply, particularly when there's different weather variations. So obviously on a cloudy day in Newcastle where we we might be not getting as much solar output, um, it could be particularly windy up at Glen Innes. So having that sort of mix gives us that that better cover for our our electricity usage and ensures that we're having very little exposure to the spot market. So on, on top of that, once we start to get more battery storage, we've effectively using renewables and that store and that battery storage to cover our electricity load every minute of the day. Was resilience a factor in the design as well? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, building in a resilient network for us is quite important. What what we saw earlier in the year when we had the bushfires happening, we had different areas of the state uh, tripping off because of that. So having that, that regional supply for us and, and that diverse supply gives us confidence that, that we'll continue to have that generation. It also means that we as a city can support the grid by exporting renewable power into the local grid during that time. And yeah, again, from a, a pricing perspective, having those those diverse supplies means that we keep our prices quite low as well. Tell us how your new electricity contract works. So as of 1 January, uh, we signed up a contract with Flowpower, who are providing our regular energy supply services for our large sites. And at the same time, attached to that is our wind power purchase agreement. So effectively, when that wind generation is coming in and, and we're using power at the same time, we're, we're paying the, the same price as, as what we've agreed with the wind farm. When there's not enough wind power and we're taking from the grid, we're getting the spot market price at that time. And when the wind is generating more than we're using, it, it's getting sold into the spot market. But over the course of a year, it's supplying the equivalent of over 100% of our supply from renewables but also we found through detailed modeling that up to 85 percent of the time it was actually its output is matching our demand profile wow that's amazing what is the profile 
So during the day, we, we have uh, quite a bit from our large sites and we have over 200 facilities with our you know sports grounds and libraries, museums, the art gallery. So a fairly steady load during the daytime. But where we really see our electricity use ramp up is overnight through our street lighting. So we manage over 14,000 street lights in the, the city. We're also at the same time embarking on a accelerated replacement program for those lights to upgrade them to LED. So over time, we'll also see that electricity use there reduce. Obviously, we've got that wind power that, that we're purchasing at the moment as well, which helps cover those evening loads. So we'll still look, obviously, at energy efficiency to reduce our our overall usage. We'll still be putting in solar at, at our sites and taking advantage of behind the meter generation. Also, as mentioned before, looking at battery storage to start to firm up our supply, particularly in the the early morning and and evening peak periods where you've got that sort of crossover between uh, wind and solar generation. So you're saying that by placing your large sites and street lighting on the spot market, you're expecting to cover the cost of importing electricity at spot market prices using mainly renewable power during the high spot market prices and using imported energy at low spot market prices. Is that right? Yeah, so effectively what, what a renewable PPA does is acts as a, a hedge. It's, it's basically a risk management undertaking. So if if we're buying from the spot market at the same time that, that it's selling into the spot market in a, in a different part of the grid, but obviously the grid's all connected, that price stays the same. So it's a, a neutral price based on what we've agreed with the generator if there's under generation or over generation it reflects what the spot market price is but that's where you start to go into areas of demand response so you start to manage those slight bits of of exposure you reduce your demand during those periods so you're not subject to high spot prices or you cover that with battery storage which you know effectively is is that whole area that we're moving into with battery storage to firm up the uh, intermittent supplies from wind and solar. But I guess, I mean, surprisingly for some but but not for others is that you don't actually need, you know, battery storage to cover 100% of your day. You only need it for those those slight areas during the day where your solar generation isn't covering your general demand. Those unpredictable short periods. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's always going to be days of cloud and, and things like that. Um, but effectively, over the course of the year, it's sort of evening out and you're, you're covering all that, that demand. And as, as the grid becomes more decarbonised, your emissions are going to reduce from that perspective and you, and you don't need as many offsets and things like that in future as well. What analysis and modelling did you do to determine how much renewable power you would need? So basically, we we got all the interval data from our our large sites and street lighting, and estimated our small sites because we we don't have interval data for all that, and put it into a a twelve month profile of of what we generally use. That gives us an idea of of the quantum of how much energy we use per year, but it also tells us on average where that usage is, whether it's you know, how much in between four and six in the afternoon, how much between three and four in the morning. So it gives you that that good profile view and you can then sort of map 
map that against renewable sources. So while day to day you, you may not know precisely what, what's going to happen from a renewable generator, it is quite predictable what it's going to do over the course of a year. So you start to use some of that P50 data from those generators to match against your own demand profile and start to see the uh, the combination that's going to work best to cover that. So there's other other organisations that have recently gone 100% renewables. So City of Sydney, for instance, City of Adelaide. And when they've gone out for that renewable PPA, they've gone with a hybrid mix. So they've bought both wind and solar, give you that that mix that effectively gives almost a, f- a flat profile through the day. Now, we, we obviously had a lot of solar in place already, which is why we just looked at the, the wind power instead um, to help cover those other areas where, where we didn't have renewables producing at that time. Did you do most of the data analysis in-house, did you? Yeah, so a lot of the uh, original work we did in in house and and modelled up and got a good idea of of what was required. Then we went to some some consultants to basically verify and sense check the work that we'd done, which also gave us that sort of independent view uh, of things, which which obviously helps when you're putting forward a, a business case to have multiple people looking at it and providing input. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Adam Clark from the City of Newcastle. You say that your crowning jewel in the city of Newcastle's renewable energy infrastructure is the five megawatt solar farm located on an area of rehabilitated landfill at Summerhill Waste Management Centre. The Sapphire Wind Farm, though, was expected to provide nearly all the power you needed. So can you explain what the solar farm's role is? Yeah, so, I mean, from a an energy perspective we're we're effectively at 150% renewables so we're getting that 100% supply from the wind generator obviously if we had have got less supply from that wind farm we have less matching so because we're buying a a lesser allocation from that wind farm it means that we would have had further exposure to the spot market from a carbon emission perspective though so to reduce your emissions you, you also need to retire the large-scale generation certificates. So from that perspective, we're 100% renewables because we're using the LGCs that are created from the solar farm, retiring those to to meet our emission reduction goals, and then purchasing some additional extra from the wind farm to cover that. The actual energy generation from the solar farm is sold into the spot market, and that revenue is then used to offset the original construction costs and also our electricity bills. But in future, it's also providing an opportunity for us to use a lot more behind the meter power from the solar farm. So we're also looking into uh, electric garbage vehicles. So we're doing a business case at the moment to to look at transitioning our current garbage fleet to electric as the the solar farm's located on a a landfill site out at our operational waste centre. It means effectively that the, the garbage trucks could go and unload and then park up and charge off the uh, the solar and, and some battery storage located out there. So that will also then help to, you know, remove diesel usage from our fleet, reduce our emissions, but also have some cost savings associated mm-hmm. with that. Fabulous. You, you mentioned before that you achieved your 100% renewable energy target at the start of 2020. And within four days, that system was actually put to the test. It sounds like it was an incredible set of circumstances. So can you take us through that? 
starting with the weather conditions and all the other issues at the time? Yeah, so it was uh, quite the test baptism of fire that we, that we found four days into our, our new electricity contract. So a few might remember it now as we sit in winter, but on that day, temperature records across New South Wales, across ACT were, were falling over and over. So it was hitting you know nearly 50 degrees in Penrith. In Canberra, it, it was also the hottest temperature record for any month that they'd had. You know, looking at a temperature map on that day, effectively half the country is covered in a, a deep purple, which is a, a pretty nasty mm. temperature colour. So uh, very hot conditions. We also were, were bang in the middle of the bushfire season that was unfolding, quite unlike anything we'd seen. So really hot temperature demand in the state was, was well above what previous years had been as air conditioners and, and things like that were sucking as much power as they could. But then also from the bushfires, we, we started to see some some real impacts on the grid. So some of the smoke from, from those bushfires were disrupting transmission down near the Snowy Hydro area. There was also a, a separation between New South Wales and Victoria with parts of the network tripping off there and, and the interconnector between the two states shutting off. So there was a real supply crunch there and some people might remember, you know, the energy minister was on the TV telling everyone to try and reduce electricity as much as possible we got an alert from our retailer as well saying that you know there was these high price events that were going to be on the way so we sort of put in place a, a bit of a manual process to, to call around to all our sites and, and see what what we could do to reduce our power so yeah I think things were uh, pretty diabolical and, and heading for some pretty high prices into that evening so the, the alerts were sort of showing in the national electricity market or the NEM, the peak price that, that can be allowed is $14,700 a megawatt hour. To put that into perspective at the moment, you know, we're probably averaging around $40 a megawatt hour, not $14,700. So it was around, you know, 165 times the previous spot price average. And we were now on this new contract going to be exposed to those high prices. But effectively, what we found was reducing our demand with what we could um, and also having that, that PPA in place with the wind farm provided us some cover there. Now that it wasn't generating as much as we would have liked, but it was still covering a portion of our load during that period. But also going back to that, that idea about diversifying our supply. We had the solar farm generating and, and we were lucky that during that that afternoon peak, we were actually a net generator to the city. So rather than taking power from the grid, we were producing so much renewable energy that was going into the grid and helping support the local electricity grid there. And we're also effectively getting paid those very high prices to be putting power into the grid. So for a couple of hours there, the, the solar farm was making 14,000 plus a megawatt hour, which meant that, that what, what could have been a disastrous uh, start to our contract uh, turned out quite well for us in, in terms of that, that diverse supply and that resilience that we'd built in. And that was over quite a period of time. It was what 3.30 till 6pm, as I understand it, and that was all the solar power generation that was going into the grid and catching those high spots market prices 
Yeah, so the output from the solar farm was starting to sort of go down a, a little bit during that time, but we were still producing quite a lot of power. And, and as you say, those high prices went on f- for quite some time. And then as as that sort of event started to de-escalate, our wind farm generation started to kick back in again uh, during that evening. So it was it was covering our evening load there from the from the street lighting and and other assets. There is a graph that you generated that our listeners unfortunately can't see, but can we actually go through that? It shows how the Sapphire Wind Farm generated most of the demand in the early morning and in the late afternoon, so very early in the morning and late afternoon, and then solar during the day. Can you try and describe that graph for us? Yeah, so, I mean, effectively this this worked as pretty much as we'd seen in, in our modelling over the, the course of a year. So the averages of the year, and, and it's one of the reasons that we, we chose this contract with this particular generator because its output matched closely our overnight street lighting load. So when you look at this graph in particular, you know, the early mornings, the, the wind farms generating more than we require. Um, so it's covering all our load and, and the additional generation is is sold into the spot market between about three and five in the morning. There's a little bit of extra demand that, that we're using above what the, the wind farm's generating at that time. What that effectively means is that extra consumption that we're using, what we're buying from the spot market, but given the time of day, always generally a, a pretty low price during that time. So down around the sort of $30, $40 a megawatt hour timing. As our street lighting starts to come off and as the wind farm follows that down as well uh, into the, the early morning, around about seven o'clock when our our buildings and facilities um, start to use a fair bit of power, that's when our, our solar generation picks up as well. So, you know, all through the day, there's a little bit, bit of wind generation, but our solar is, is covering all that daytime load. As we mentioned, as we get into the afternoon and we, we hit those quite unbelievable price peaks in that afternoon, we've still got quite a lot more solar generation than the power that we're using. So that extra extra power, as I said, is getting sold into the spot market for that healthy price. And then as the solar starts to tail off, you know, around about 6.30 in the afternoon, the wind farm picks up again and it's covering our, our evening load. So really through the, through the course of that day is what our modelling was showing us on average through the year. So it was working very nicely compared to what we'd been modelling, showing that with a mix of wind and solar, we're really covering, you know, 85 90% of our daily load. Now it's quite easy to cover that additional 10 to 15% load that's exposed to the, the spot market and we do that through adding battery storage in, fu- in future and starting to concentrate a lot more on our demand response program so being able to reduce our our load um, quite quickly if if the spot market price was to go up quite a bit that is an amazing achievement so early in the year and you say that it is only one event so what are the next steps what what, what are you uh, looking at doing now you did mention additional battery storage to fully ensure against any spot price exposure. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll just make the point there that it was one day on one one particular event, but it, it's all been sort of well modelled over how we think that will perform over quite a long 
time period. We're already seeing that we're well ahead of our business as usual, electricity pricing. If we had just gone out to market and got a regular sort of three-year fixed contract or something like that, we're doing much better than, than if we had of stuck with our, our normal procurement practices there. What it opens up now is because our sites are on the spot market, we really have that cost-reflective pricing, which encourages a lot more around energy efficiency, around demand response and being smarter about when we use energy during the day. That can mean it's even more favourable in terms of, of the overall savings that we're making. We'll, we'll be doing some further business case modelling around some battery storage, continuing to put in rooftop solar and also starting to really focus on our other big source of emissions, which is our diesel and, and petrol usage across all our fleet. So we have a, a, quite a lot of passenger cars. We have quite a lot of light trucks, the heavy heavy vehicles such as our, our garbage fleet and also a lot of plant and equipment, so excavators and, and things like that. So we'll, we'll start to look at transitioning those over to electric models as they become available, which means that we've already got this electricity contract in place, which which is capable of covering that additional load. And as we start to reduce our, our diesel usage and our fuel usage and make some further savings there, we're also bringing down our, our emissions profile. So at the moment, we're developing our next climate action plan out to 2025. Transport's going to be a key focus, but also looking at removing gas usage, starting to deal with some of our waste emissions. So we're developing up a, an organics facility at the moment out at Summer Hill, which will start to take green waste and food waste and process that and setting a target to sort of net zero emissions in this next plan. Fantastic. Where can our listeners find out more about this? Uh, so we, we're currently actually out to sort of consultation on our climate action plan. Um, so we've got sort of have your say page through our our council website there's also the the article that that you've sort of referenced is posted in a few few different places um it was picked up in um a few different you know one one step off the grid and and through linkedin and things like that but as we draft up our climate action plan there'll be the draft that goes up to council hopefully in July and then it'll go out for public consultation. So it's also a great opportunity for people in the area um, to provide their input into where they want to see the city of Newcastle heading, um, not just us as a council but the city as a whole. Um, and so we've, we've had some really good engagement lately. Um, we had a, a big sort of online conference last week with, with about 80 people involved um, providing their ideas about where they want to see the city in, you know, the next 10 to 20 years. So the article that you're referring to is called Newcastle Builds Local Energy Resilience with its 100% renewable plan and it's from one step off the grid. Thanks so much for your time today, Adam. Not a problem. Great to join you. We've been speaking to Adam Clark from the City of Newcastle. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. 
Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.